I really hope that you're following along with us, that you're part of the Bible Project. Um, and if you're not, listen, you hear me saying something about it just about every Sunday because it's really been amazing. Yesterday, we started the book of Judges. And so if you haven't been and you want to jump in, back up to yesterday and start right there. The video for yesterday for Judges was just literally awesome. I mean, when you read the book, uh, it, you know, you kind of wonder and question about some things. A video yesterday. So there are videos along with this, if you, if you hadn't heard this before. We'd re really encourage you. To go, all you got to do is go to the Facebook page, church's Facebook page, and just scroll down. You'll find yesterday's reading, and you can read, watch that video, and catch up today as well. This would be a great time to jump in if you're not doing it, okay? So the rest of the story. Um, in some of this, in this reading, I realized this, this message right here was going to really be impactful for the reading that we're doing there. I, I'm, I'm not going to preach based on everybody who's already read this. I'm going to try to make sure I fill in all those blanks as well. But I think when we read, especially, you know, those, those first five books of the Bible, you know, that uh, we kind of call the law, the, the Jews, they call it their law. They call it the Pentateuch, which means five scrolls, or, or uh, they call it the Torah, which the Torah is not just, not just the, uh, the, the, the written word, but it's also the, the, the oral word that they have, they have continued to share down and down and down. But those are the five first books of the Old Testament. And when you read those, it's kind of it's confusing for some people. And I think, uh, and the title of the sermon today is A Law of Grace, because I, th I think what people see a lot of times is they see in the Old Testament, they see judgment, justice, righteousness. And then they, they see in the New Testament, almost like God's a totally different God. Like he was a God of judgment and justice in, in the Old Testament, a God of the law. And then in the New Testament, he's a God of grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness. And, and so why is, why is God two different guys? Well, he's not, okay? So that's what I really want to bring to you today is that this, this law that if you've been reading with us that you've read now uh, in the Bible Project or in those first five books, this law, it's, it's a law of grace. It's right there, okay? So... So let me, let me take you, first of all, to a story that we read just a few weeks ago, story of Nadab and Abihu, okay? Let me tell you the things that we know about them, and if, and if you're reading with us, then, then you, you say, yeah, I read that. Their father, Aaron, was, pre, was Moses' brother, so Moses was their uncle, and their father, Aaron, he was the first priest of Israel. Okay, so that, that puts them in, in really a, 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 a good place, spiritually speaking. I mean, they're in a place where, where really... They're, they're able to receive and, and to hear and be a part of and be surrounded by things, spiritually speaking, that others aren't, you know, unlike today. Anybody can come. Uh, also, we know that they were called by God to the top of Mount Sinai by name. There's a scripture right there. Um, this, this time in Exodus 24, and, and listen, if you, you want to read these, all you got to do is go to the Sunday's page that Lexi was directing you to. You can click on the link, it'll open up, and you can read the verse right there. It says it. Exodus 24, God told Moses, come up to the top of Mount Sinai. And in this time that he called him up there, he also called 73 other people. He called Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 other, and he didn't name them. But look at this. God called them by name into his presence. Think about that. God didn't say, everybody who wants to come. He didn't just say, hey, Moses, bring 73 with you. He said, Moses, bring Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and those 70 elders. And so he called these two guys by name, all right? And then we see in Exodus 28 and 1, 
They're kind of like priest number two and number three. The first one that God calls is, Aaron, is, is their dad, Aaron. And then God mentions them, number two and number three. They are the number two and the number three priests that were named and called and chosen by God. So it puts them in really high standing, it sounds like, doesn't it? But the most notorious part of their story is their death in Leviticus chapter 10, verse one. Uh, in case you haven't read, let, let me just tell you what happened here. They're, they're struck dead. They, they die immediately, both of them. And the only thing we have is in Leviticus 10, the only thing we know about it is that they died because the Word of God says they offered unauthorized fire. And we don't know exactly what that means. We, we, don't, we don't really know uh, exactly uh, what they did. But now, I, I've, you know, I, I try to also do a lot of research even beyond, you know, and try to look back because, I mean, rabbis today, they're still studying the Old Testament law. You know, the, whatever we call the Old Testament, they're still studying all of that. And so I even look and, and search them. And, and if you do, you'll find that, that, that their conjecture just is across the board, that, that, that some, some think that they came to the temple, they were drunk. You know, that they came to the temple, they had sin in their life or whatever. And if you were reading with us, you know that, man, God is laying this out a minute. It almost looks like, you know, there is no margin for error, you know, with God. It's like he's saying, it's got to be this, got to be this, got to be this, you know. But what we know is Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1, is it was unauthorized fire. It could be that, you know, because the, the fire that they're supposed to bring to God is supposed to come from the altar. It could be that they flicked their bick, you know, and, and went, they, they, they found another way to make some fire. And so it was unauthorized. I don't know what it was, but here's, here's the thing we do. Normally, normally when, when you talk about the rest of the story, people are thinking, okay, there's going to be an epilogue, you know, that little bit that they're going to show us afterwards. You know, I don't know if y'all know what epilogues are, but in, in the TV sitcom era, you know, that used to be that little bit about 20, 30 seconds, they'd come back to and be another little cute joke. I, I think, you know, maybe our, the generation uh, coming up today, you would, you would see an epilogue as being the after credit scenes, okay? You know what I'm talking about now? You know, that, that, that little extra. And so that's what we, a lot of times we think of that when we think of, uh, of, of the rest of the story. But actually, the rest of the story is not after this. Oh, I can't believe they died like this. It's, not a, it's actually before. Because I don't even think we were paying attention to Nadab and Abihu until we get to Leviticus 10, and all of a sudden, they offer, they offer unauthorized fire, and they die immediately. It's like, were you really paying attention that that was the son's names of Aaron when you read that? Were you really paying attention that they were called by name to come to his mouth. So were you really paying attention? You know, that, that they were the second and the third priests that God called? We weren't really paying attention to that. So the rest of the story really isn't like an add-on. It's actually the stuff that we didn't re recognize in the first place. I think that's what we do a lot of times is we, we kind of jump at the, oh, that's the, the most notorious, the most amazing. And so we jump to that and, and that's where we miss, miss this. Because in actuality, what, we'll, what we see here is we do see, we do see God's grace in these stories. But here's what the Old Testament law wants to teach us. Uh, next slide, please, is this. We are not God, and, and we cannot approach God any way we want. That's what the Old Testament is teaching us. We are not God. You are not God. And so we can't just approach God any way we want to. We, he's not just our, our big buddy that we get to go hang out with. We can't just decide how we're going to approach God. And this appears to be the big reason that Nadab and Abihu died because they forgot he was God, they weren't. And they forgot they couldn't just approach him however they wanted to. 
You know, and this is what, this is what the, the Old Testament is doing, is first of all, it is, it is separating us, making sure we understand that, that we know He is God. He is God. And, and I know this, this is what I think blows us away with the Old Testament. We're reading this, and it's like, wait a minute, this isn't the God I, I thought I was serving. Because, you know, we see in the Old Testament, God who is our father, you know, and he's, he's got all these rules and whatever. And then all of a sudden, the New Testament, he becomes granddad, right? Y'all know what a granddad is. You know the difference in a dad and a granddad, right? You got one of each, you know, and you know the difference, right? And I've been both. I've been dad and I've been granddad. So I know exactly what you know, I'm talking about right here. But a lot of times, that's the way we look at God is now in the New Testament, he's become a granddad. He doesn't hold us to any rules, you know. I mean, he's trying to figure out how to bend rules a little bit so he can get us a, a gift or a blessing or something or do something nice for us. And, and, we, and so it's like, we don't understand this God. It's like, wait a minute, this is not the God, but this is what, this is what the Old Testament first wants us to understand is that we are not God and we can't just approach him however we want to. Okay, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of splitting us up here. God's way up here and we're down here, but don't miss the rest of the sermon, okay? I, I'm not going to leave you there, but I want you to see this. I want you to understand. So let me take you to another story, very similar. We're going to read this one in the Bible Project next Sunday, okay? So like with Nadab and Abihu, how, how, how you missed it maybe when you were reading it, this one you'll be set up for, okay? So when you read it, you'll say, oh yeah, that's what Pastor was talking about, okay? And this was very similar. It's uh, Hophni and Phinehas, okay? And this is in the book of Samuel. We'll be there next Sunday if you're reading the Bible Project with us. And here are the things we are going to learn about them. They are sons of the high priest. Just like Nadab and Abihu were sons of Aaron, they are sons of the high priest at this time, which was named Eli. The second thing we learn about them is they are scoundrels. And it's God that calls them scoundrels. The Bible actually uses that word, that they are scoundrels. I mean, if you go to the Sunday's page, click on the link, it'll take you to the scripture. They are scoundrels, okay? Here's why they are scoundrels. First of all, they insisted on their choice, verse 15. Now, um, if you remember in the, in the Old Testament law when God was talking about the sacrifices that the Israelites would bring, and they would bring all these different animals, these meats and everything, and God would say, and take this part and set it aside for the priest, and take this part and it will go to the priest. Well, what, what Hophni and Phinehas were doing is they said, you know, I'm sick of this. I really want some different meat instead of what God has blessed me with freely. And so they decided that they would take the meat that they wanted, the cuts that they wanted, and they would actually also want to get it before it was cooked in any way. Some of it had to be cooked before they took it, and they didn't want it before it was, they wanted it before it was cooked so they could barbecue it, you know, have a grill instead of, instead of taking what God had given them. So, so they, they began to loathe the free blessing that God gave them, and they began to demand something different. But they were scoundrels also because they had sexual relations with women who served at the tabernacle. And this didn't happen one time. This was an ongoing thing. And when their father Eli heard about it, he got on to them, but he didn't do anything about it. He didn't challenge them. He didn't hold their feet to the fire. He didn't require them to do what was right, okay? Uh, and then they tried to force God's hand. Here's what happened. One day, Israel and the Philistines get into a battle, and it's not going good for the, for the Israelites. The Philistines are winning. And so some of the guys, the, the, the army of Israel, some of them say, hey, 
Let's send back to Shiloh where the ark of God is. Y'all remember that ark? That ark was that box that they built. And God said, okay, this is the place. It's kind of like we, we kind of look at church. Our service is the place where God meets us or whatever. They had this box. God said, that's the one place I can meet with you because, man, we're before grace. We're before Jesus' grace and all of that kind of stuff. This is the one place. So they said, let's send to Shiloh and let's get that box. Let's get the ark that, that signifies the spirit of God, the presence of God, and let's bring it into battle. And we'll, we're going to bring God's presence into battle. And what they were doing is they were trying to force God's hand to do this for them. They didn't ask God, God, are we supposed to be in battle with the Philistines? They didn't ask God, God, is this the way we need to be operating? Is anybody listening to me right here? They didn't ask God which battles to fight and how to fight them. They just thought they would force God to do it for them. You know, I, I got to go negotiate for a car tomorrow, maybe a house on Tuesday. I'm going to wear my church 2911 shirt, so God will have to be there for me, right? That's the kind of thing they were doing, is they, is they were saying, if I wear this, then God's got to show up because he knows I'm, you know, I'm wearing my church shirt, you know. That's what they were doing. But God's not in the shirt, and God's not in the box, that's not what he's about. He is about righteousness and holiness and his will and following his will. You can't force God's hand, but that's what they tried to do. And the result was they both died in that battle the same day. Very similar to Hophni uh, Phinehas, very similar to Nadab and Abihu. But we have a little bit more of the story here with them, don't we? And we see that, yes, they got a lot of grace. These guys were scoundrels, and God, God, you know, he, he gave them a lot of grace. He watched them do this and this until finally God says, I can't put up with this anymore. I can't have these guys sleeping with the women that are serving the tabernacle. can't have these guys hating my blessings that I'm giving to them and, and demanding something. I can't have this anymore, trying to force my hand and not honoring and reverencing me. And so fine, we see there. And where's this? This is the Old Testament. There is grace in the Old Testament. Sometimes we look and we don't see it. We think, oh, there's not any grace. There, yeah, there's grace in the Old Testament. And even with, even with, with uh, Nadab and Abihu, that, that first story, even with them, man, we don't know the, the limits. I mean, we, we don't know if this is the whole story with Hophni and Phinehas. But we definitely don't know if that's the whole story that Nadab and Abihu. And it probably isn't that there's the grace of God that is always there. Okay, so let me, let me give you a quote from Brandon Cox. This is, this is really good, okay? This kind of brings it to our attention, I think, a little bit better. The truth about grace might seem positive at first glance, but in order to embrace it, we have to come to terms with our need for it. And that means acknowledging our own depravity. In order for us to receive grace, we must first realize that we need grace. So the first step in getting God's grace is not like a, wow, this is wonderful. The first step is like, man, I, I, I really need God's grace. It is, it is the law teaching us something here. So, so let's look. What does the law teach us? Here's what the law, the Old Testament, trying, go to the next slide. The law is simply pointing out the truth. God is holy, and without him, we're depraved. That's what the law is. That's what the Old Testament's do, okay? Hang in with me here, okay? We're, we're going to pull all this together in a moment, okay? But the first thing you've got to get is this. Is God is holy. He is righteous. He is amazing. He is powerful. He is perfect. He is all of these things, and we are nothing. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, he writes this. We are all infected and impure with sin. All of us. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy 
rags. Now, it's, I think it's interesting that this is chapter 64, so Isaiah, he's been writing for a while, right? I mean, you know, he's been listening to God and hearing from God, and God's been giving him word for quite a while. This is chapter 64, and he says, listen, let me tell you something. We're all infected with this. We're all impure with this. And the best we can do, the most righteous we can do is still filthy rags. You know, if, if you want to get to the grace, then you're going to have to first of all acknowledge this, is that you need grace. That God is this righteous, holy, awesome, amazing, perfect, and without him, we are just depraved. I, I, I know what we like to do. We like to say, well, I'm not really that bad, Pastor. You know, sometimes I'm not perfect, but when I'm good, I'm really, really good. Y'all ever heard that? When I'm good, I'm really, really good. Not, not according to Isaiah. Isaiah says, when you're good, you still ain't good. You know, let me ask you, I remember when I was a kid, there were these, uh, these gospel tracts, you know, they were like multi-pages, they were like, they were almost like mini cartoon, mini comic books for Jesus, you know? I don't know, and there was one called This Is Your Life, and it was like this guy that dies and he gets to heaven, and there's this big, huge screen, and, and his whole life is shown to everybody around, you know? And I don't think it's going to be exactly like that, because if it is, man, we're going to watch video for a long time in heaven, right? Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that have lived, but I don't think, I don't think it's exactly like that, you know? But... If it were, you know, the, the, the person sitting out here right now that, that wants to say, I'm pretty good, Pastor. I do some good things. I'm a really good guy. You know, I know you think, yeah, but I'm a really good guy. Okay, which one of you that, that thinks that would be willing today, that if God had that video, be willing today to just show it right now on the screen? Anybody? To show everything, you know, not just the stuff that you did that you got accolades for, not just the stuff you did that other people said, good job, and said, you know what, when you're good, you're really, really good. I'm talking about all that other stuff. And that's stuff that only God has seen. I mean, honestly, come on, let's be truthful here. Isaiah's got us pegged. We are infected. We are impure because of the sin that is in who we are when we were born into this world. And, and, and you know why Isaiah can say this with such, I think, definitive, uh, just um, complete, completely state is, is because of his own situation. Back to Isaiah chapter 6. Now, this, that was 64. Way back, a whole lot earlier, okay? He has a vision. And in his vision, he sees God. And he sees God's, the, just the train of his robe fills the temple. And he is overcome. And he is, because he's heard the story of Phineas. And, and he's heard the story of Nadab. He's heard those stories. And now he sees this awesome God, and he's heard, heard the story of, of Moses, you know. He's heard all these, and he knows, and now he's like, oh, no, and he says, woe to me, I cried. I am, un, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so Isaiah, in his own experience, he has, a, he has this vision of God, and he says, oh, my goodness. He says, I'm unworthy to look upon his amazing righteousness and holiness and beauty and, and perfection and all that he, who he is. He says, woe is me, woe is me. And then much later in chapter 64, he says, we're all infected. We're all imperfect. But we get over there in the New Testament. And in, and in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he, and he's, he's, he's talking a little bit about the gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah, the good news. And he says, God's love, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. He's, no, go, there you go. Thanks for that. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. 
But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Here's the reason for the law. The law is to let you know where, you know, without the law, you don't know where you're messing up. Without the rules, you don't know where, and you know, you can't really know, here's where I'm messing up until, that's what the law came for. Okay, but then oh, over there uh, in, in chapter six, jump over to chap, chap, chapter six, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's, here's the fulfillment of, here's where we're bringing this all together now, okay? It's starting to bring it all back together, okay? Is that the law teaches us that he is a God, he's an amazing God, but the grace that we find in Jesus allows us to be one with him. So here, here, here are like three hard and controvertible facts. I, I kind of stole the first two from Father Kavanaugh in the movie Rudy. If uh, you've heard that little phrase before here, he said, there are, there are two incontrovertible facts. I got a third one for you, okay? So the, the first two from Father Kavanaugh. And the first one is, there is a God. And that's what the Old Testament wants us to understand and wants us to believe. There is a God. We got to know that first of all. And it's capital G, okay? Not that there is a God. There is, there is any God or there are a bunch of gods. Or just, but there is a God. There is a God. Number two is I am not him. Right? There is a God and I am not him. And I'm not his best buddy. I'm not his pal. He's not my granddad. He's not my Santa Claus. That's not who he is, but that's the way we treat him a lot of times, don't we? We come on Sunday morning with our arms wide open so that we can, God, what you got for me today? But instead, what we should be doing is we should be throwing our arms wide open and saying, oh, what an amazing, awesome thing that you have invited me into your presence today, God. There is a God. I am not him, but I need him. That's, that's, see, that's what the Old Testament wants us to understand. I, I, think, I think because we, we preach so much from the New Testament and we, we believe and we quote so much from the New Testament these days is that, is that we get this grandfather God attitude of who he is. And the, but the first thing you've got to do is you've got to embrace the fact that he is not just somebody, he is God. He is not just the king of the universe. He created the universe. It wasn't handed down to him from another God and another God. He created the universe. He is this awesome, amazing, righteous, holy, perfect being that created everything that is. And that now the fact of that we get to stand in his presence. How, how, how does this happen? How does this happen? But, but you understand, we see this grace God calls Moses, come on up. God says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. He tells Joshua, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. He even says, Joshua, bring Aaron, bring Nadab, bring Abihu up, up, up the mountain to be close to my prayer. And, and we see God doing this even in the Old Testament as well. We've, we've got this attitude that, that, the, that the Old Testament God is different from the New, but he's not. We just need to get this, okay? Is that he is God. We are not but we need him. And the same grace that he wanted to give to so many throughout the Old Testament, he wants to give to me and you today too. He wants to give to us as well. He wants to, he wants to bless. And this grace that is given to us, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to pull this knot tight here in just a moment, okay? Tie it up. But this grace that he gives us is first of all a forgiving grace. He forgives us. But that's not all it is. But let me show you this. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, it's forgiving. 
that God is so rich in kindness and grace. He is rich. In, we, we hear rich and we immediately go to some places that we got, we got other things that we need. But the first thing we need is we need forgiveness. That's what the Old Testament wants us to get is that we are not God. We've got to have forgiveness that he is so amazing. We, we can't reach him, but he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. This, first of all, it's, for, it's forgiveness and grace. And, and, and I stand today righteous and holy because of forgiveness, but it's more than that. It's not just forgiveness, it's also renewal. Because he doesn't just forgive us of our past, but he renews us. Because remember, we were infected, right? We were impure. And so what he does is he doesn't want to just forgive us and then leave us in it, but he wants to renew us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Okay, that's the first part. But it also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And it teaches us how to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. The grace of God is not just about forgiving. It's also about renewing us so that you and I, we don't have to live in, infected and impure. With That's why we sang the song a few moments ago about how we've been delivered from our bondage. What does that mean? It means that he's renewed us in this awesome grace that he has provided for us and we no longer have to live according to the, the infections and the impurities of sin that has infected every human being that has ever been born. But it goes beyond that because this also helps in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 11, when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. He says, give us today our daily bread. That doesn't just mean, I mean, Jesus is going through it in a hurry, but he's talking about whatever your daily needs are. You know, and how does this grace get there? God in the, in the Old Testament, he constantly was looking for people that he could somehow help and he could bestow his grace on. And, and people kept turning their backs on him. Finally, he chose Abram, changed his name to Abraham. He, sa he said, I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to bless your family. And you're the ones. And he kept reaching out to them. They kept going around the wrong way and doing the, And God just kept reaching out to him and reaching out to him. In the same way, this is what God wants to do. He's looking for someone. He's looking for someone and he wants to. He's not the grandfather that just gives it to you regardless, but he wants to. He wants to bless you with the grace to give us today whatever your daily needs are and our healing, our healings. And, and, and the very next verse, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, you, you probably thought I was talking about physical healing, right? But there are more healings than just physical healing. You know, because a lot of you, you have hurts, you have pain, you have scars from the past. And, and what he also wants to do is he wants to give you healing from your past as well. He, he, and and the, it's only the grace of God that can heal you from all the stuff that, that's been done wrong to you, the things that have been said about you, the scars and the, and the scabs that you have. It's only the grace of God that enables us to not just receive forgiveness, but also give forgiveness. And then it's, it's an uh, empowering grace. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, the temptation in your lives are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He's saying that he will empower you and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond the power that you have in him. And when you have that temptation, he'll show you the way out so that you can endure through the power that he has given you. And how did that get there? Through the grace. You see, grace is not just forgiveness. Grace is not just that one thing. It's all of these things. And lastly, it is is also a keeping grace. 
Because this, this is where, and I got ahead of myself a few moments ago, this is where, where Paul is talking about, the, uh, uh, about that, the gospel, and he says, I, I'm not ashamed of the good news that I preach, because that's why I'm suffering here in prison. I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. What he is saying is, I got a whole lot of stuff that I'm concerned about. And he said, I'm not concerned. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. I, I'm not worried about somebody calling me a fool for believing in him because I know in whom I trust. I've, and I have entrusted to him not just my eternal salvation, but I've entrusted my family. I've entrusted my kids. I've entrusted my marriage. I've entrusted my future. I've entrusted the, and here's what Paul said he knew. He said, I know that God is able to keep all of those things. So, so listen to me. Listen to me. In just a few moments, we're going to come to the front. And I really encourage you. If you've got needs, man, I encourage you to come. You need forgiveness of something. You know, you, you need renewal that you, you're just struggling with something. You need renewal in some way. You need help with, with some situation in your life. And listen, I know you do because you're all the time asking for prayer. But I think, you know what we do a lot of times? We think if I get the pastor to pray, I won't have to pray. No, that's not the way it works, okay? That's not the way. He, he didn't teach the disciples when they said, teach us to pray, to go find the priest. He said, no, I'm going to teach you to pray so you can go to the Father through me. And so if you've got needs, you got a daily need, one of those daily things... That's just the normal stuff is what he's saying. Not just the big, huge, but the normal stuff that you need prayer over or you need healing over something that, you know, some, something in your past, something you can't let go of. So then he gives that or empowerment in some way that you feel weak, you feel beaten up, you feel uh, abused by the enemy or you feel overwhelmed or overcome or feel like you've lost the battle already and you need power or you're just concerned and you're just worried. I mean, look at, look at this world that we're growing up in. Look at this culture that we're living in today day and our kids are growing up in. And, and you know what? It is cause for concern, but you know what? You don't need to be concerned anymore. You need to put them in the hands of God. Put your future in the hands of God. And, and for, So if, if you've got any of these needs, I, I implore you. I just admonish you today. I really encourage you today. Let a prayer team member pray with you and let's believe God for the grace that forgives, the grace that renews, the grace that helps, the grace that heals, the grace that empowers, and the grace that keeps. Amen. Can I ask you to do something with me? Would you stand and come to the front? And if you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. And uh, I'd love to have you join us. And I got one last little thing. I, I told you I really wanted to tie this up really tight here. And I want to tie it up right here if I can, okay? This whole question about law, judgment, or grace, and all that. So please come. Prayer team's getting ready. They're getting in position to to pray with you, and I, pray, I, really, I really hope that you will allow, allow us to pray with you today. Amen. If you got a need, you know, don't, don't just stand there and wait. Okay, last thing, let me, let me really tie this little thing up right here, okay? Is, um, so is God a God of judgment or God, is God a God of grace? Both. I, I know what we look at is we look at we look at this, the Old Testament and we say, man, God was a, he was a really mean, judgmental God. I mean, that's some, man, some of the ways, some of the stories you read there and you can get that attitude. And, and if you've had that attitude, you ever been scared of God? Oh, I have. You know, David, you remember King David, shepherd boy David, wanted to kill Goliath and all that? Do you, know, you remember what God called him? He called him a man. God said, he's a man after my own heart. But you know what? You know that, that ark when it was taken by the Philistines in that battle? 
when David, when he became king, he went to get the ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. And another instance happened very similar to Nadab, Bahu, Hophni, and Phinehas. And you know what it caused David to do? It caused David to get scared of God. The man after God's own heart got scared of God. And he said, oh, let's just store it. We can't get close to it. I don't even know how to approach God. This man after God's own, the man that wrote all those Psalms, not all 150, but most of them in that whole, whole book there. Man that wrote so many of those Psalms, the man after God's own heart, God scared. It's, it, it's easy to do it. Look, and you know what? We need to transfer that fear to not be a fear, but to be a, a fear of awe and reverence to him. And so when we look at the Old Testament, we look at him and say, man, he can be scary. But then all of a sudden, man, the New Testament, man, he's just giving out gifts and he wanting to do good and bless everybody, you know, feed the 5,000, you know, just constantly. God changed, didn't he? You know, it's almost like Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament ends, Matthew begins, and somewhere in there, God changes. But I think it, I find it very interesting that in that last book, Malachi chapter three, verse six, God says this about himself. I am the Lord and I do not change. So if he changed, then what he had to do is say, I'm the Lord, I do not change. And on second thought, cause I mean, Matthew's right. You know, there's a period of silence there, but, but it's like the very next thing we hear is I changed my mind. I've rethought, God says, I do not change. I do not change. So was, is he still that mean God from the Old Testament? Okay, not mean. But is he still that God? Yeah. Or, or can I also say that this grace God that he is now, was he that grace God back there? Yeah. But now something changed though. It is, it is different, right? When you read the Old Testament, New Testament, it's different. Something has changed, right? But it's not God. He doesn't change. What changed is you. Your place in him has changed because, and not something you did, but because God gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die for your sins. That's what changed. And so here's, here's okay, let, let's, let's draw up that fear again, that, all that crazy negative stuff again. Let's draw it up for just a moment. Here's, here's how it is now. Is this judgment, justice, righteous, beauty, holiness, perfection, God, that, that, that is just everything is perfect and, and I am this far away from him because of the blood of Jesus. Now God doesn't just look and say, hey, Moses, take off your shoes. And, uh, and some years later, hey, Joshua, take off your shoes and, and let me see if I can find some people. Now today, you and I, we've been invited to stand in his presence. Whose presence? This amazing, righteous, beautiful, glorious, awesome, perfect God. We've been invited to stand in his presence and worship him. Not with just our hands outstretched, what can you give me? But with our hands outstretched, thank you God for the honor of standing in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the creator of this universe. That, we, that we've, been, we've, been, we've been given this and not just now, not just in these first few hours of, of, of the week on Sunday morning, but for the 163 rest of the hours that are going to happen the rest of this week, you have been invited to walk around in his presence, to relish his presence, to enjoy his presence, to glorify him in everything that is due to, to give him your needs and, and all those things up there on the side 
just a few moments ago, if you need forgiveness or you need renewal or you need help or healing or empowerment or, or for him to just hold something dear and take care of it, whatever it is, for the rest of the week, we've been given that. Why? Not because he's changed, but because our place in him has changed through the blood of Jesus Christ, because of his grace. And so right now, let's sing about his grace. Go ahead, Jamie, when you can. Let's, let's glory in his grace for just a moment. Just before we do, pray with me, if you will.